Revelation chapter 19, we've come as far as verse 11, and uh, you know, you look at the world that we're in, you look at what's going on all around us, um, and you think, what's, what's the answer? What's the answer to the pandemic? What's the answer to the problem with vaccines? What's the answer to passports? What's the answer to violence? What's the answer to the hatred that's all through social media now? What's the answer to war? What's the answer to nuclear arsenals everywhere? What's the answer to globalism? What's, well, it's here. The answer is right here in front of us in this chapter. This is really Independence Day right here in chapter 19, trust me. There it begins, we've left off after talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 11 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of, of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that is the answer to the problems we face in this world right here. Uh, this is a chapter that's been anticipated since the fall of man in Genesis 3. This is a chapter anticipated in heaven since before the foundation of the world when the Lamb was slain. This is a chapter unlike any chapter throughout human history or eternity until we get to this place and then this is the apocalypse, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is when he's brought out into the open and put plainly before us. Matthew had spoken of this and said it in this way. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they, when they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with the sound of a trumpet. They shall gather the elect from the four winds and so forth. And it said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall. It tells us this in Second Thessalonians. It says... And to you that are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord 
from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you is believed in that day. So again, chapter 1 of Revelation had said it to us in verse 7 in this way. It said, Behold, he cometh with clouds, every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him, all of the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And the scene comes now before us. This is the culmination of the destruction of the great whore. This is the culmination of Armageddon described in chapter 16, where it says, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. There came a great voice out of the temple in heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as there was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city, Jerusalem, was divided into three parts, and the cities, plural, of the nations, plural, fell. And great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give to her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about a hundred pounds. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. All of this kind of comes together in this scene here when Christ returns. Uh, John, it just seems suddenly... This comes before him. Verse 11 says to us, And I saw heaven opened. Saw there is is from Oedon, I perceived. It wasn't just something he saw with his eyes, something he perceived, he understood about it. And he said, I perceived heaven open is in the tense, heaven already having been opened. He had been caught up to heaven in chapter 4, verse 1. He had seen heaven in chapter 17. There was a cry there from heaven. But here now, heaven is open, and he looks up and sees it standing that way. Heaven is open before him, and he sees this white horse, the first thing that strikes his senses. So as he looks up now, the, the heaven and earth come to meet at this point in time, and heaven... You know, there's the, there's the atmosphere of the earth, the first heavens. Then there's the stellar heavens, uh, you know, in space. And then there's the third heaven, which is speaking of here, which is the dwelling place of God. And how far away is that? You know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. How far away is this? We do know that when we pray... Heaven hears when my people, then my people are called by my name, shall humble themselves, they pray, they turn from their wicked ways and so forth. Then will I hear from heaven. So however, however far away it is, he hears us. And we're his kids, we're his sons and daughters, we're his bride. And his ear is attentive to us. And he beckons us to come and to pray, to ask, to seek, to knock. To, you know, to bring all of our supplication before him, to cast all of our care upon him. So wherever heaven is, 
It isn't like, you know, way far away somewhere. Our voices are heard in heaven. We can hear from heaven. Elijah, when he's fleeing Jezebel, and he ends up in Mount Horeb, it says there was a great earthquake, and there was fire, and there were thunders and so forth. But it says the Lord wasn't in any of those things. And he was the prophet of fire. That was his experience. And as he sat there, it said, Behold, a still, small voice. So however far heaven is away, you and I today are the recipients of that fellowship through the blood of God's Son. And if we would cultivate the ability to sit still and quiet, it says God speaks to us with a still, small voice. How wonderful. So heaven is not distant from us in that sense. Our prayers are heard by a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. And he speaks to us from that place quietly. He doesn't shake the earth when he speaks to us so we don't drop dead at a heart attack. He speaks to us tenderly. But in this scene now, heaven is opened. He said, I looked and it stood there open before me. And behold, that's an imperative. You've got to think about this. It's an imperative. Once and for all, get this in your mind. This is not a suggestion. Once and for all, get this in your mind. You guys with me? Okay, so you're going to get this in your mind today? All right, and then he doesn't say it, but you want to get it down to your heart from your mind, if that's possible. There's a lot here. Um, He says, and behold, a white horse. Some of you have seen white horses, ridden white horses. This is the white horse, okay? You imagine what an animal this is, and it says... Him that sat upon, the one that sat upon him, so this is a stallion. This is this white horse. Hard for us to imagine because this is not, you know, there's no earthly horse that compares. Every earthly horse, no matter how majestic, is only a shadow of this reality. And this is the king's horse. This is not a horse that died and went to heaven, okay? This is a horse that's never been out of heaven, that was made in heaven, that has been waiting for this chapter more than you, because this is when he gets to carry the king and come into the scene. You know, Job said this to us in his letter. He said, He hath given the horse strength and has clothed his neck with thunder. Canst thou make him afraid? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He goes on up to meet armed men. He mocketh at fear and is not afraid, and neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him, the glittering spear and the shield, but he swalloweth up the ground with the fierceness of rage. Neither believeth he that it is the sound of a trumpet. He has said among the trumpets, this is the horse, ha, ha. (laughs) And he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of captains and of shouting. So Job describes the, the horse in all of his majesty. That's just a weak reflection of this horse. And this horse is white 
and you guarantee you this is a whiter white than you ever seen anywhere. And when he looks up, he sees the one on the horse, but the first impression, he sees this white. He said, you have to get this in your mind. Think about this. Heaven was open, and as I looked, here's this white steed, unlike any animal you've ever seen, this the king's horse, and seated upon him is one whose name is faithful and true. So he's going to build the scene around four names now. He tells us first he's called here, so his first name is faithful and true. Then in the next verse it says he has a name that no man knoweth but he himself. Then it tells us that his name is called the Word of God. And then it says his name is called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So he builds this about around four names, four titles given to him. And the first part of the scene here that comes before us is he's seated on this white horse, this amazing animal. And he that sat upon him, he says, is called faithful and true. Faithful is the idea of genuine, true is dependable. And look, in this world, I don't know about you guys, those seem like good words to me. Genuine, dependable, I ain't seen none of that for a long time. I don't know about you guys. You know, watch the news. And you know while you're watching it, it ain't really the news. It's some kind of indoctrination. Somebody's got a program. Somebody's got an agenda. Somebody's milking you. Somebody's getting your money. You know, wouldn't it be nice finally to look at something and say, this is, this is genuine. And your baloney meter's not going off at all. This is genuine. And true is dependable. You can bet your life on it. You never will make a mistake on taking your future and your hopes and your life and letting it rest upon this one on this white stallion that's already mounted in heaven waiting, waiting for him. He's going to apocalypse, to unveil himself. The word revelation, apocalypse. He's going to unveil, and this is where he's unveiled in this scene. The veil is taken off and we see our king here, our savior, Jesus. And it says that it is in righteousness, which is the right treatment of those around you, it is in righteousness that he doth judge and make war. It's, it's, they're both present tense. It is in righteousness that he is judging and doing battle. Presently, he's judging. And he's doing that. He's going to tell us his eyes are a flame of fire. There's nothing hidden from him. He, and, and everything you think is wrong in this world, nobody's getting away with anything. He's the judge. And then, you know, he both judges. He makes the judgment. He's sitting in the courtroom. He judges. And then he executes the sentence that he passes in the courtroom. He himself then does battle, there, evidently there's a right way to do it. There's a righteous way to do it. There's a way that every human in their heart will have to agree this is, this is the one who is true and faithful. This is all happening the right way. He passes sentence as the judge, and then he executes that sentence as the warrior. What an interesting picture is brought before us. Is, and we can talk about it here Sunday morning, go back and forth. But you, you have to try to imagine John's impression as this bursts on him 
and he looks and heaven is standing there open and he sees this one seated on this white stallion. <clears throat> We're told that the the sun is going out, the moon doesn't give his light, the stars of heaven are falling, all other distractions are gone. God the Father is refusing to share any glory, the glory of the heavens, any other kind of glory with anything. His son now has all of the glory. He is the only visible thing in the heavens. The scope of this is unbelievable. All the tribes of the earth are going to mourn because of him. They're going to look. Nothing else will be visible. All will be dark. But this one coming through the heavens with you all behind him. That's the scene here. It's un- incredible. And the scope of it, you know, the, the, the heavens are kind of removed in, in a sense. And then, and then he, the brightness of his coming and, and lighting up the earth and then Armageddon, then Jerusalem and the Valley of Kidron all coming to view. The scope of this is unbelievable. All of the armies of the world are gathered there, both human armies satanic armies of demons and fallen angels all of the armies beside the armies of heaven are gathered there and he rides into the midst of this scene and it says we're with him so first it tells us his name is faithful and true and he is both the judge and the executioner he knows the righteous way to do battle his eyes were as a flame of fire, chapter 1 had put that before us. On his head were many crowns. These are not Stephanos, many diadems, many royal crowns, the crowns that a king would wear. He says, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Don't you hate it when Revelation does that? You know, John said I was about to write, and they said, no, no, don't write that down. Come on, John. Now he says, you know, he's called faithful and true. He's called the word of God. He's called king of kings and lord of lords. And, oh, yeah, he's got a name that nobody knows. He said, why, why, why tell us then? You know, he, he has this name that nobody knows but himself, it says. And he's sitting there. No doubt, you know, no doubt there's something about that name that's inconceivable. There's something about that name that the human mind and heart is unable to wrap itself around. There's something about that name relative to the fact that in the ages to come, he's going to reveal his grace and his glory to us. There's something about that name that's unknowable to to anyone but himself that after we're in heaven zillions of years, we'll still be seeing more glory and more profound depth and truth about it. That name is unknowable to the human mind for some reason. The light of it, no doubt, slowly as we're in heaven, will shine more and more. How remarkable that will be. How remarkable. It's interesting to read all the different scholars and commentators who guess at what the name is. Why don't they just read the verse? It says, no man knows but he himself. That would save all of their time. They thought, maybe, uh, here I'm doing a commentary on Revelation. Maybe I'm the one that does know. Foolishness. No one knows this name but he himself. And it says, he was clothed then with a vesture. The idea is of a cloak that a king would wear or a rider would wear. 
a vesture, and this vesture, it says, is dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Again, Isaiah tells us this. He says, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? That's the question. Who is this? The answer comes, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Then the question, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine vat? And the answer, well, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. The idea is to help me, for I will trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I, um, and I will stain all of my raiment. In fact, here he's more forceful with what he says here. He says, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped very interesting the the participle here is bapto where we get the word baptize in the gospel so his vesture has been plunged is the idea baptized in blood and he's coming as the lightning shines from the east to west it says from edom to the mount of olives the battle is drawn the earth's armies over 200 miles from armageddon all the way to eden the numbers are unimaginable of those and and they're gathered together to do war against the lord i mean what do they got surface air missiles uh stinger missiles uh you know f uh, you know 22s what do they got they actually think they're going to do battle this is how insane satan is and how he hates the fact that he was cast out of heaven. The armies of earth actually think they can make war, and maybe by that time the you know their space brothers are helping them or something. I don't know. You know, but they can actually make war from this one coming. And you know, it's got to be the sun goes out, the moon goes out, the stars go out, and then this white horse, unimaginable, the stallion this one seated upon with royal diadem sparkling eyes of flame of fire the vesture dipped in blood that's a bad day for rebels that is a bad day for rebels isn't it he's coming and it says his vesture was plunged it was baptized in blood and his name now here's the third name first name is said faithful and true that's good for us we can lean on that we can rest on that his second name, relative to his royalty maybe, it says, no man knows but he himself. The third name it says here, he is called the Word of God. Now, I think it's the only place that actually says that out, Word of God. He's called the Word John, our author, and most believe that he wrote his gospel last after Revelation, so he opens it up by saying, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by him that were made. Nothing was made without him. And then in verse 14 he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And 17 he said, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth are shown forth in Jesus Christ. So John says he is the word of the Logos, the written word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. 
John here says his name is called the Word of God. Maybe that's why he opened his gospel saying, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's why it says when you study through the scripture, look, don't add anything to the Word of God and don't take anything away from the Word of God. That's important. Look, because when, depending on our frame of mind, some people think of the Bible as a book of principles. They're usually legalists. And it is. There's principles everywhere. Some people think of the Bible just as a book of theology because they're heady and that's what it is to them, trying to figure it all out. Well, there is theology, but it's more than that. Here it tells us that the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is a person, the Word of God, who spoke the worlds into existence. Nothing was made without Him. You know, it's like, you know, you wear sunglasses. If you've got those yellow sunglasses, everything looks greener than it really is, you know. you got blue sunglasses, everything looks darker than it really is, you know. It depends on the lens. If you look at the scripture and it's just a book of principles, everything looks that way to you. If you look through a different color glasses, everything looks like theology. If you look at the scripture through Jesus Christ, there's a person being revealed from Genesis to Revelation. And that's why the Bible says don't add anything to the word because it's a person and you've got nothing to add to Jesus Christ. And it says, don't you take anything, don't even diminish, take a little away. Don't take anything away from the Word, because He is the Word. He is the Word. And He's our Lord and Savior. And if He's faithful and true, if He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who wants to take anything away from Him? I mean, I'm waiting for that to happen. I'm looking forward to that, right? I can't wait till that, that, that happens. And just... To, to, to come. So it says here, his vestures dipped in blood. It tells us that. And it says, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies, plural, it probably includes angels, but specifically I believe it's talking about you and I. The armies which were in heaven... They're already in heaven. This is him coming with his church, not for his church. Colossians chapter 3 says that, that we will come with him. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 says we will come with him. This is an ancient you know, vision. Enoch says from all the way back in Genesis, Behold, I saw the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. He's coming with us here. The post-tosis have a hard time with this. He's coming with, it, sa it says, the armies which were already, is the idea, in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So this is the armies, plural. Is this 50 million? Is this a billion this is rank after rank after rank of these white stallions. You don't have to worry, well, I don't know how to ride a horse. No, these horses know what to do. <laughs> Nobody's flopping you off. These are not earthly horses. They don't have a fallen nature like you and me. 
that would kick somebody off if they're hassling us. These horses, each one has a name. I'm waiting for Harry. I'm waiting for Joe. You know, I'm waiting for Michelle. Each one of them has a specific task, and they can't wait to fulfill it. They can't wait to get the church mounted so they can come after the king. And it says when we come, we're wearing these garments of linen that are white and pure. We're not wearing breastplates. We got no shields. We are immortal as we come. You could you could shoot a, a surface-to-air missile right at our chest, and it wouldn't do anything. <laughs> wouldn't do nothing, because we're immortal, and we're coming with a King of Kings, and we're coming with a Lord of Lords, and He's the one who's drenched in blood, and we're all white. Our horses are white. Our garments are white. We are immortal. We are indestructible. We have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We are coming in great purity. And we're coming as eyewitnesses. It says he does. He's going to do this alone. It tells us that he destroys the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. With his, is what it's going to tell us here. A great sword goes out of his mouth. The same word of God that spoke the worlds into existence... Is the same word of God that has no trouble with the sword of his mouth judging the Antichrist and Satan and the false prophet. Tells us in Zechariah, in fact, as he comes, it says their skin will fall off of their bones, their eyes will consume away in their sockets, their tongues will consume away in their mouths. Second Thessalonians tells us when he comes, he destroys the enemy with the brilliance of his coming. Imagine that. He's so beautiful and brilliant and powerful. He just sears the enemy as he comes. This, and, and we're coming with him. We're, we, we're, we're coming. We're participants in the sense that we're spectators. But he says, there was no man with me. I tread out the wine press alone. Isaiah 63, 3. He does it himself as he comes. And it says, we're riding with him. We're coming and it says, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. This is the long Thracian sword that could cut a man in two with one swing. Out of his mouth goeth a great sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, plural, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. So the two weapons we have here are the sword and the rod. The sword is the weapon of the warrior. The rod is the weapon of the shepherd. And we are coming with him, his sheep. And anybody that ever thought about messing with any one of us, he's coming with a sword and with a rod of iron to protect his flock and his bride and his children. Just a remarkable scene. So this sharp sword goes out of his mouth, and with it he should smite the nations. Now, there's two pronouns here that are intensive. One of them is here, he himself shall rule with a rod of iron, and he himself will tread the winepress of the fierceness of, of the wrath of Almighty God. No help. You get nothing from us. He himself is going to rule them with a rod of iron, and he himself treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of wrath of God Almighty. This is, again, chapter 14, where the blood will run then to the horse's bridle, no doubt, as he comes across the Kidron in Jerusalem. 
And it says that he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, which is King of Kings and is Lord of Lords. Um, It doesn't, you know, now however this is going to be is going to be fine with me, by the way. We come to this fourth name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, We are told in chapter 17 here in Revelation, you don't have to turn, chapter 17, in, uh, it says this in regards to his coming. Um, it says, And these shall make war with the Lamb, the unsaved, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords, and he is King of kings. Then Paul tells us this in First Timothy um, he says there in chapter 6, verse 15, I believe. Uh, I'll get there. It says that thou keep this commandment. He wants Timothy to keep the charge that's be given, been given to him until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which in his time he shall show who is the blessed only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So this is now the scene where it's revealed, where it comes out into the open. This is who he is at his coming, King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is when everything is made right. This is Independence Day here. This is Independence Day. You figure John, you know, this old apostle. John had seen him come into Jerusalem on a donkey. John's still alive. He's probably around 90. And you must remember that we call the triumphal entry. Palm Sunday. That wasn't the triumphal entry. This is the triumphal When he comes on a donkey crying and sobbing, that's not the triumphal entry. John had seen him beaten beyond human recognition with a crown of thorns jammed upon his head. Now he sees him coming with many royal diadems on the same brow, with a white stallion, not some donkey. John sees him coming. John must be undone when he sees this. He must be overwhelmed. This is the one. He's coming through the heavens, faithful and true, Eyes of flame of fire, you know, head full of many crowns, sword going out of his mouth. And John must be thinking, I I leaned on his breast. I leaned on his breast at dinner. And John had seen, you know, it's so remarkable, this ancient apostle. Nobody lived to be 90 in those days. Just looking at this on Pat, you see, he must be thinking, no wonder I'm on Patmos. This is so cool. You know, I thought it was a bummer getting sent to this prison island. Oh, man, I would do this a thousand times because heaven is open and he sees now what human history has been longing to see and experience. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, coming in his glory, in his rightful place, with majesty, with the saints behind him, you and I. And I I have a feeling that we're in groups. No, the Lord does that. It says he puts the solitary in flocks, plural. 
and I have a flock. You know, my mom and dad, Kathy's mom and dad, my wife, our kids, their spouses, my grandkids, you know, particular friends that you work with and labor. We probably, he probably has us in groups on the white horses, you know, you know, just, just the reunions. Imagine the, you know, there's Spurgy behind us. Hey, Charles, you know, just the different people that are, imagine this scene, what this must be like. And we're descending and he is exercising his divine power and he destroys the, the rebellious armies in front of him. And we are eyewitness to that, if you can imagine. And he's doing it in righteousness. His judgments, and he's judging today, it says, present, per, present tense. He is judging today. Nobody's getting away with anything. Everything you see on the news, you think people are getting away with it? Nobody's getting away with nothing. Relax. Stop with the agita. Nobody's getting away with anything. He is judging. He's, the fir- he's faithful and he's dependable and he's the one who's judging. He's doing it in righteousness and he is doing battle presently and then it finally is manifest in righteousness. In righteousness. All these, you know, one-worlders and all of these guys that think they're running everything and oligarchs and all... They're like the little kid that sits in a car with his little plastic steering wheel and his little horn. This is the one who's got the real steering wheel, the real gas pedal, the real brakes. You know, here he comes, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And won't that be something? Now, look, you guys, you guys need to just sit with this because we're all going to be coming. We're going to, these are eyewitnesses. We come with real bodies, with real garments, with real horses. This is reality. This is not some spiritual realm. We are coming to earth and he's going to destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet and the armies of the world that are gathered to Armageddon. This is a reality. And all of it, it's not going to be like, oh no, those poor, no, no. All of it will be those who have rebelled and decided to worship, worship Satan. He's, he's judging and doing battle in righteousness. There is nothing to be criticized at all in what he's doing in this scene. In fact, he, he would be criti- criticized for not doing it. Finally, this is the end of all of that, and he's going to initiate his kingdom. Are we ready? All right, let's stand and pray then. Now, read ahead. Read ahead. You can see why it's important to read ahead on these things. Read ahead, please. I mean, I hope you know your horse by next week, but if we're still here, (laughs) we're still here. Father, we thank you for these things. And the scope of this is beyond our comprehension, Lord. It is, you know, it is just so vast. It is so vast. And you've made these things real to us by your spirit, Lord. That we, we look at it and we resonate with it. And we, we know it's true, Lord. And we, with our human minds, can't comprehend the scope of it. But we resonate with it, Lord. Our hearts are saying, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray for all the lost around us that need to be saved. Lord, those who need to cross into your kingdom now... So they'll be mounted on white horses instead of in the valley, Lord, of Armageddon. Lord, let us be your evangelists at this time in human history, this day, Lord, this week, 
friends, relatives, classmates, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Give us the testimony, Lord Jesus, of your love and of your power that's still available. And Lord, we ask in your name and we pray for your glory. Amen.